Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Jody came down with the flu last night, so I didn't know I was preaching today until about 9 o'clock last night. Um, I had a message prepared for American Fork, but this one's for all of us, I guess, since we're streaming. Um, but uh, we're continuing the, the Family Matters series. It's uh, called Ministering to the Family today. That's what I'm calling this message. And even though it says ministering to the family, I want to make it clear that this is really for everybody. Even if you're, whatever situation you're in, from relationship-wise to um, any fam- family situation, whatever that looks like, this is really for, for everyone to hear. In fact, can I have all the single people? Can you stand up for me for a second? No, no single people in here? All right, you guys all look around. See, you notice this? Okay. You guys find each other afterwards, right? <laughs> no, nah, I just, I wanted to make you guys stand up. This is for you guys, too. Even though, you know, it says it's family, um, I feel like that, that can kind of get conglomerated into this isn't for me, so I'm just going to turn off. That's not the case. This is really for everybody. Well, let's start off in, in prayer, shall we? Father, we are just so gracious to be here, to be able to come and, and learn from your word and to be able to experience your power. Lord, I just pray that uh, the wealth of knowledge just pours out upon us, Lord, that I do not pull from my own bucket, but really from yours. Lord, let your spirit just flow through this place. Don't let people hear these words and, and just go one ear and out the other, but that they actually sit in our hearts, that they're transformative. Lord, your word says that you don't come by mere words, but with power. And we need to see power in our relationships, God. We need to see power in our families. We need to see power in our lives, power only that you can give. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, that will be the case today. in every single one of us here at the Adventure, Lord, that we will be able to walk out these doors empowered, encouraged, and, and ready to, to fight back in this war of relationships and family ministry, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. All right, well, so it's no mystery that the devil attacks family. I think everyone who has been in a relationship knows that relationships are difficult. Um, Especially looked at marriage relationships, any kind of relationship, there's going to be strife because a human with a human is always difficult. Um, Seems to be this issue called sin in our lives that causes us to to divide, to to hate, to anger, to be angry, to be emotionally unstable, Um, a lot of different things. But the devil uses these things to to cause strife. And so I felt like it's important to go over a few key things as far as how to equip the church in in this fight against sin and against the enemy going against us. So he attacks the concepts of marriage, of course. As the Bible teaches one man and one wife, we see that attacked constantly. Our relationships among our families. We have a lot of hurt and broken relationships just in our families. And then, of course, marriages themselves, divorce, infidelity, adultery is, is, is everywhere, it seems like, these days. And it always has been. It's nothing new. Um, we are just seeing more loud voices in that matter, and especially within the church. So we first need to understand, I think, what are we bringing into our homes? And that's kind of the first place I want to go with what are we bringing into our homes? And I have a kind of an interesting story to share with you. When Amy and I were first married, we were probably married about a month at this point, living here in Draper. And I was in a little different side of the apartment, we kind of had this U-shaped apartment we lived in. And she was watching TV in the living room and I was in the back office. And all of a sudden I just heard this blood curdling scream like the worst scream I've ever heard. 
And I'd never heard her like this. So of course, I, being the heroic gentleman I am, I stood up and ran out to the, the living room. And she was, I'm like, what's going on? I think it's someone breaking in. Am I going to have to pull up my jujitsu skills? You know, what, what am I going to, ha- what is going on? And she's like, she's in, by this time, she had ran into the bedroom looking into the living room. And she's like, there is the biggest, hairiest, nastiest jumping spider I've ever seen. And of course, at this point, I got real wimpy. And I was like, ugh. And I also had to think that we've been married a month. Now is the time to really show her how tough I am. You know, I got to take care of this thing in the side. I'm just, nope, nope, where's mom? She, she's the bug killer. No one else around, you know, at this point. So, I, you know, I did not want to find this bug for one. I was just kind of hoping this was, it wasn't going to appear. So I got on my hands and knees and I'm looking around playing like, don't, don't come out. Just, I don't want to see you if this is what you are. Well, it turns out when I found it, it was this little bitty cricket about this big. And, and so when I, I finally kind of manned up and I got the cricket, and of course I, I teased her like no other because she told me it was this huge, I mean, imagine your wife saying, there's a spider this big and it was jumpy and it was hairy and you don't want to see that spider. Um, and so when I found out it was just a cricket, I, I, I realized, okay, we can handle this. We're good. But that story really made me think about what are, we, what are we letting into our homes? And how is it being perceived? What kind of things are big, hairy, nasty, jumping spiders that are coming into our homes? And what things are just little tiny crickets that look like giant, big, hairy spiders? Right? So we're going to look at a few of those things and how to, how to look, how to, I guess, kind of attack that. Because it's important, first of all, that we recognize it, that we have issues. And then does, it, does someone in the family see it as, as, again, a big, hairy, jumping spider, or is it a smaller cricket? Those are things that we, we are going to discuss because the first kind of point that I want to make today in this sermon is to recognize the hazards. As a family, as, as an individual, whatever your relationship is, you need to recognize the hazards that we are going up against. And you're in the middle of a road and you see a rock fall, you're not just going to keep driving into the rock, right? You're going to recognize the hazard and avoid it. And we need to do the same thing in our marriages and Jesus, or any relationship. And Jesus really gives us a really keen insight into what this could look like. So the first scripture I want to share with you is Matthew 6.22. The eye is the lamb of the body. The lamp of the body, not the lamb of the body. The lamp of the body. So your eye is, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So what Jesus is saying here is that what you see, what you perceive, what you look at can determine the healthiness of an individual. What goes, what comes in the eyes is going to reflect in the heart of a person. Will it be full of light or darkness? If the eye was, if the eye sees what is good, the body, the body will reflect that goodness. If the eye is perceiving what isn't good, the body will then reflect that darkness. So we have to be transformed, obviously, from the inside out, and that's the glory and grace of what God does. But we can be hindered and stumbling and hurt by what we bring in. So what hazard that we bring in through our, into our relationships can really come through the eyes. You've heard the term probably said, you are what you eat. Well, Jesus says you are what you see when he says this. And one of the biggest examples, and the one I want to hit on first and foremost, the thing that's really crippling everybody, including the church, is the, is the issue of pornography. And I think it's become very taboo in a lot of places. Oh, we don't talk about that. Well, we talk about sin, so that happens. Um, and so 
I really want to address this issue because it's not only prevalent in the culture, it's prevalent in the church. And I want to read you a quote that has some statistics from fightthenewdrug.com, which is a great uh, website that helps us to, to battle this issue. But they say this, The truth is, nobody knows exactly how old most kids are when they are first exposed to pornography. Some sources say it's 11 years old, while others say kids as young as eight are encountering pornography. But no matter how young, these incidents aren't isolated cases. And so it's not like early pornography exposure only happens to a small slice of people. In fact, in the United States, it happens to almost everybody before they leave their teens. An estimated 90% of young men under the age of 18 have seen pornography, along with 60% of young women in the same age. So odds are there's many of us in here that have been exposed or may still be struggling with it. And if you knew my story, you knew that I've been addicted to it for 10 plus years. It was one of those things you didn't talk about. You didn't bring it up with people. You didn't expose that part of your life. And as a pastor's kid, I was easily able to keep under the radar. You got to watch those pastor's kids because they do sneak out. They do sneak in and, and around. The consequences of this is, has been dreadful. 56% of porn-addicted marriages lead to divorce. 56%. This is not, the church is not apart from that. Anger, any regular emotional behavior, lack of intimate contact with, with partner, partners, addictive drug that destroys one of the main purposes of marriage. So what are we allowing into our homes, into our lives that is destroying our relationships? I think pornography is probably one of the biggest ones. I didn't realize when I wrote this that we had the big bash today. I honestly wasn't part of it when I was thinking of that. So this works out really well that they're having the, the, the back-to-school bash where we're actually the parents are going to be able to learn more about this because I'm from a generation that they didn't really know the harms of Internet usage as much. Like, we just, I grew up with AOL, and I had a MySpace in high school. Who had MySpace in high school? A few of us? All right. Starting to get up there in age a little bit. Um, but what we allow in our homes will undoubtedly affect the health of the family, and it affects the individual. I mean, it affected me. I, you don't really notice it, right? It's just like any addiction. You don't really notice it until you kind of look back and go, wow, like the grip it had and the emotional damage. I can remember time and time and time again just bawling. Man, I don't want this anymore. Why can't I get rid of this? Why can't I white-knuckle my way through this, right? As you know, and you talk to anybody who's been addicted to something, you can't white-knuckle your way through, through addiction, so the first rule and hazard, we need to be able to recognize it. We need to be able to, to see it, to, to perceive it. So tonight, when you go home with your, your spouses or you go home with your roommates or whatever it is, I want you guys to talk about the hazards. Have some accountability. What is it going to look like? Amy knows exactly my background and my struggle. She knows that if she is, is going to watch something, she has to be, and I'm in the room, she has to be very aware of what that is because there's still a lot of damage that's being scar tissued out of me. 15 years of that doesn't just disappear overnight. The power of it did overnight, which was praise God, but the scar and the effectiveness that it had on my, on my life didn't just disappear. So she is very aware of my problems and she's a very aware of that, of, of my brokenness. Are you aware of that same brokenness within your relationships? Your roommates know how broken you are. Do your families know you relate your problems and your brokenness? It's important to talk about that stuff. It's important to bring it to light 
important to get it exposed. So we need to be able to recognize the hazards. And even if they seem innocent or good, hazards can also look really good. Hazards can seem really innocent. I mean, I've talked to best friends that have said, well, it's better for me to look at pornography than to go cheat on my wife. Friends have said that to me. Or it's okay if I go, go sleep with these people because it's better, to, do, better to, to look at pornography than it is to do that, right? No, same thing. Surprise. <laughs> so no, that's not okay. And no, it's, it's the same hazard. And it's important to say too that the enemy, he comes in the form of good at times. He can come in a form that looks good. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sorry, he doesn't always come in this mean little red pointy tail and pitchfork form. Okay? He comes and he says, this is good. Did God really say that? Oh, I can't many times. I mean, he told me that when I was addicted. Did God really say you couldn't look at this? Well, you're not doing this, so that's okay. Uh, at least you're not getting into that problem, right? You guys ever been told that? Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let them be accursed. It can even come in the form of false good news. False good news doesn't sound like bad news. Surprise. It's actually bad news because it's false. Wouldn't it be nice if the enemy always appeared in the ways we could perceive? Of course it would. Enemy obviously is a lot smarter than that, so he doesn't do that. Spiritual hazards can enter in without us noticing because they seem good. Again, false gospels. They sneak into our home. A false gospel is anything that is above the saving salvation of Jesus Christ. If your hope in your, in your relationships or your family or whatever it is, is on anything other than that, it's a false gospel. Appeasing attitudes towards sin. Oh, this is a big one because this is the anthem of the millennial generation. This is my generation right here. The appeasing attitudes. Have you guys ever heard this? This, is, this could be our slogan for millennials. That's okay. Believe in that as long as you're happy. Just, I just want you to be happy. That is the millennial slogan, and it is a huge hazard. Because when you start making sin relative, then everything's okay. There's no objective wrong. Nothing's false. Nothing's evil. There's, it's, it's, it's culturally relative at that point. And the Bible doesn't speak that way. So not calling things sinful when they clearly are is a huge hazard that we have and we have to confront. So when you're examining the hazards, and I don't know your relationships, I don't know what you're personally struggling with, what are your hazards? Are, are, we, ex- are we accepting people, which is what we're supposed to do, but are we affirming what they do? What I mean by that is we always accept humanity for who they are, we accept a human being, image bearer of, of God. But are we affirming everything they do? And will you say, well, I, I can't judge. The Bible says not to judge each other, right? I can't judge people. I, was get, I get called a bigot, I'm, you know, whatever that is. Do you not understand that the Bible teaches that we are called to judge angels? That we are called to be discerning? That we must discern evil from what is right? It's important. In order for us to recognize the hazards in our families, we must be ever on guard on what enters our households and our hearts 
and the hearts of our families because we are at war. The enemy is coming after them with everything he's got because more hurt, more division can come through those relationships than anywhere else. So we need to be aware of it. Charles Spurgeon said a great line. He said, and this is kind of for just the, the family in general, but really could go for anybody. You are as much serving God in looking after your own children, training them up in God's fear, minding the house, and making a household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the, for the Lord of hosts. Do you think raising up your children is a minute task in the eyes of God? you think guarding your hearts and the hearts of your family is minute in the eyes of God? You're preparing for battle. You are preparing for to lead the army, the Lord hosts. The next generation is coming from that. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. And then he wrote it, and Spurgeon wrote a commentary to this, which I loved. He said, train up a child in the way they should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. Boy, I, I, I'm, I like preaching at people, but I don't like to be preached to sometimes, but I need it. And so really it leads by example. This is for everybody. No matter what your relationship is, are you leading by example? Are you taking the accountability issues? Are you saying, I'm going to own this hazard? This hazard is not going to be in our home. Okay, now that I've beat you guys down a little bit, time to fluff you back up. So the second point, we serve the Lord and his people. We serve the Lord and his people. So we recognize the hazards, and then we, what do we do? We now serve. You want to be built up? Serve somebody. You want to become great in the kingdom of God? Serve somebody. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Boy, imagine a family, an individual, a church that could really grab a hold of what this means. That a whole unified group of people or just an even individual would say, I'm going to live completely and utterly selfless, and sacrificial. You imagine the impact that would make on people in the, in the world around them? To mean a sacrifice is anything consecrated and offered to God. So what he's saying is your life is no longer your own. I don't know if you guys know this, but church isn't about you. It's not about me. It's not about anybody. It's about Jesus. I guess who is a person. Correct myself. But we have to lift that up. We lift our lives as sacrifice. We go, this is yours. It's no longer mine. We give that to him. Because one, we've been made a new creation. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's good news. Because you have to be remade in order to actually accomplish this. Again, you can't white knuckle your way through it. You want to try to break addiction? Become something new. Leave the old at the door and God can do that. He did it for me instantly. He can do it for you. He can do it for, he's done it for millions of people. You must become new. This gives you a transformed heart and a renewed mind. You think about life differently. You think about your life differently. You don't longer live for yourself, but you live for other people and you live for Jesus. We are no longer self-seeking, but live a sacrificed life to the Lord 
and to his people. I think we forget about that sometimes, that we, we need to serve each other as the church, the assembly in the name of Jesus Christ. We serve each other. The masses need to serve, or sorry, the small don't serve the masses. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule in churches? 20% serve and 80% don't? That's not a biblical model, okay? It's 100%. It's a participation. Serving is part of what this is, of what we do here. And the first thing we serve, we serve the Lord above everything else. John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So we serve Jesus over everything. Because you know what? He's going to honor that. You serve Jesus above your family, that's going to trickle down. You think your kids are going to catch on to that? Think your roommates are going to catch on to that? Do you think your, your cousins and uncles, whoever it is, is going to catch on to that? We say, wow, that guy, he just goes all out for Jesus. I want to live like that. Serve the Lord over everything. Seek the kingdom first. Because I think too often we, we fall into this, this kind of, it's almost like a, a phase or not really a phase, but it's some kind of a thinking of like my way, this situation is more important than anything else. Even families, you can put that on a pedestal and say, my marriage is above the kingdom. And then you wonder why the marriage is struggling. Well, I'm trying everything I can in it. Are you putting the kingdom first? And that trickles down into that. Paul wrote about serving his people. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So we honor one another above ourselves. We put people ahead of us. Never be lacking in zeal. You want to know how to keep spiritual fervor? You want to, you don't want to know how to keep running the race, the marathons? Serve. Keep serving. Find ways to serve. It doesn't have to necessarily even be like every Sunday I serve in this capacity, but how can you serve your neighbor? What can you do to help change the cul-de-sac you live on? Change the apartment complex you live in? What can you do to serve? We live to serve because Jesus lived to serve. And to, to death, he even served to that point. None of us have had to do that. By being a new creation, a living sacrifice, leaving all we have for Jesus and for his people, we learn what it means to serve and not to be served, to give and to not always receive. We are a family of believers in mutual submission. Mutual submission. To serve each other as the church and the Lord as our king. And for anyone who has maybe been hurt by any kind of relationships, and maybe you don't even feel like you, you even have a, a family or, or someone to go to, I want to give you this. Jesus said this in Luke 8, 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. You are in the family of Christ when you believe. We will be your family. Amen. We will bring you in because God brought us in. As a family of believers, you have acceptance. You have love. 
You have mercy, you have grace, you have forgiveness. Everything that Jesus is, is what we need to be. Let's be a church that serves God and his family above everything else so that our families will reflect the kind of servitude that Jesus did. Are we washing each other's feet? I don't know, maybe not literally. I mean, that'd be kind of cool. But are we washing each other's feet in principle? Or are we just kind of like, a, you know, I'm going to come get what I want, get my thing. I need to get fed. I'm feeling kind of hungry this month. Or are we going out and actually being proactive because the kingdom of God is proactive, not reactive? All right, serve your family. So here I brought down a number of passages uh, for really everybody. Now, for all you single people out there, you have the freedom and liberty to just give everything you have to the kingdom of God. Congratulations. I remember those days. No, no diapers, no, women, no wives to appease. My wife's not here. I can probably say that. But let me start with the wives. It says in Ephesians 5, through 24, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit yourselves to the husbands in everything. So what he's saying here is serve your husbands as you serve the Lord. With the same amount of motive, with the same amount of love, with the same amount of energy. Respect and cherish him when you serve him. Listen to him. It's okay to disagree with him. As a husband, I know I say a lot of stupid things. You don't always have to agree with us. But you never stop serving. You never stop loving. You never stop seeking reconciliation. You never stop forgiveness. You never stop mercy. Allow for the Christ to be your motivation to love your husband. All right, husbands, your turn. Now, it's important that you read the whole passage when you're reading this, because if you just read the wives, you think, ooh, that's kind of domineering. But if you read the husbands, you'll, you'll kind of get the, the second point here. So husbands, first off, love your wives. Guys, we have the best job. We get to love the women in our life. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, that's a big, that's a big demand. Do you love your wife just as Christ Loves those who believe in him, the people who serve him, and gave himself up for to, to make her a holy. I'm sorry, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, important in this time, men were responsible for teaching their wives. Wives didn't have a chance to learn and have an education in that sense. But today, I think the principle for that is to lead your wives and your families in that. Be the one who is accountable around the the devotionals. Be the one who is there for, for extra mercy, extra grace, extra love. Love them. In the same way, responding to the wives section, it's a mutual submission to each other. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Guys, I know you love yourselves, okay? Love your wives the same way. That's what he's saying. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you love yourself? Love your wife that way. Okay, sounds good. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Ephesians 5, 25 to 29. So men, you better cherish that woman who is in your life. Cherish her as 
both a believer, a child of God, if she's a believer, if she's not, you still love her. You pour that gospel into that marriage every single day with deep affection. So it's compared to how Christ feels about his people. Talk to your wife, feel about your wife the same way Christ feels about you. Do you understand the depths of the gospel? Share that with them. Lead her in her spiritual truths or lead her in the spiritual truths of the word and treat her the same as you would like to be treated. And if you case you forget what love is, let me remind you, this is probably at most of your weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not, who is a good one, self-seeking. Ooh, that one's a rip right to the heart, right? It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the part where I say, men, it's time to man up. Protect your wives. Protect your families. Love them. Cherish them. Respect them. And you will see massive amounts of blessing. Serve her as Christ came to serve. You know your wife. How best can you serve them today? Wives, you know your husbands. How best can you serve them today? How best can you love them? When's the last time you guys sat down and talked? How can I serve you better? How can I love you more efficiently? How can I cherish you? How can I respect you? These are conversations you need to have. Forgive her just as Christ has forgiven you. Is there anything that you've done that Christ will not forgive? I'll give you an easy one. No. Is there anything that he can't give into grace? No. Mercy? No. All of that is possible because he did it for you. Do you do it for them? Husbands, do not rule over them. Okay, this, these verses kind of have this, ah, oh, I'm the ruler, I'm the domineering, oh, macho man. That's not it. Serve them the same way Christ served his people. How did he serve? He served sacrificially. He served abundantly and in every way. Serve that way. With deep affection, again, combined with respect and cherishment. All right, children, your turn. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, you are the next kingdom impactors. You are the next CVSOM graduates. You are the next pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists. The kingdom goes on because of what God has done in you. And parents, your responsibility is to purpose, is your marriage is to glorify God, but it is to raise up the next impactors. Honor, children, honor your love, honor them, your family, by loving and respecting them. Serve them just as you would like to be served. Seek after the Lord after, as they seek after the Lord, after, as your parents seek after the Lord. And parents, don't embitter your children or they will be discouraged. Don't exasperate your children. Don't hit them when they're down. Lift them up, encourage them, edify them. 
but always do it in truth. In this way, the family can be a united front in living out Jesus Christ's commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I tell you now, if the family, if the individual is seeking God above everything else, is loving him with all the heart, with all the mind, with all the soul, your life will reflect that. You perceive and bring in that, the word of God, your life will reflect that. The family matters. The individual relationship with Christ matters at a global scale. God broke my pornography addiction before I was even married. You know what he did? He, he prioritized my life because for me, it was all about me. It was about my immediate gratification. But what happened was God said, if you keep this, your wife will be exposed to it. Your children will be exposed to it. Do you want that? That's basically how it went. And I, that was the moment. That was the click. That was the light bulb where it was like, wow, it's not about me anymore. It's about this person. It's about the next generation. It's about the generations to come. I don't want to be held up in that bondage. It is a living reflection of God transforming the hearts and minds of the believers. God can work wonders in any marriage and families despite any situations. Do you believe that? Do you believe God can heal your marriage? Do you think he can heal relationships? Do you think he can work out any of the issues you have? Good. Our children can learn how to serve with proper motives and with love. Our churches can become places of love and acceptance. Our marriages are blessed with mutual serving, with love, cherishing, and respect. You want to learn how to overcome difficult spouts in your family? Serve them instead of fight with them. Your child isn't walking with the Lord? Give them to the Lord. Love them. Pray for them. Serve them. Share the gospel with them again and again and again. Oh, when I was a prodigal, how I would have loved to have somebody share with me a couple more times. I thought I understood. I thought I knew it. I squandered five years of my life because no one was bold enough to say anything to me. I thought I was, I was done. I had gone too far. You didn't realize that pastors are usually chief sinners, right? <laughs> we are the ones that need the most. Because we're the ones that were impacted by it so much. Preach that gospel every step of the way because without it, none of this is even possible. Without Jesus being the cornerstone of any relationship, any foundation, you cannot achieve this. You can try, you can try, you can try, you can be artificial, you can be less genuine, you can go to all the counseling you want, but I'm telling you, Jesus as the cornerstone of any relationship that serves and lives and loves like he does is the only thing that will run the marathon of life. Try respecting or cherishing your spouse even if you don't think they deserve it. Wow, he's done too much. She's done too much. Did you do too much? See the beauty of the gospel? Were you too far? Do you deserve to be loved by Christ? Do you deserve forgiveness? None of us did. But God still saved us. God still believed in us. God still gave a call in our lives. God still uses us. 
He still anoints. It's amazing. So as we wrap up, I want to give an opportunity for anybody who has never accepted this, who has never accepted Jesus as their Lord, who's saying, man, I really want that. How do I get it? I'm telling you right now, I loved how Pastor Bill said a couple weeks ago, the great exchange. Jesus took everything that you had, all your sin, all the bitterness, all the hate, everything that you are in your side, and you know you don't like it, be real. You know you don't want it. He took all of that and he sacrificed it on Jesus Christ on the cross. And in exchange, he gave you all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his faithfulness, all of his power in the form of the Holy Spirit. And if you want that, all you have to do is believe. Stop walking in the way of sin. Turn from that and walk towards Jesus and fix your eyes upon him. And you will see your life turn from darkness to light. I guarantee it. So if that's you, I just want everyone to bow their heads. If that's you, I just want to respond with you. I want to agree with you. I want to pray with you. If that's you and you want that, it's free and you could have it right now. Because you just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Let's see you. Amen. Now for anyone who's in relationships and they're struggling and they're broken and you want them healed and there's strife and there's sin and there's hazards all over, I want you to give you an opportunity to respond too. Just give it to the Lord. Just raise your hand and say, and just read after, just repeat after me. Lord, I give you everything in my family. Lord, I give you my relationships. I give you my life. I give you everything that you have put into my life by grace that you will heal, that you will restore, that you will bring abundance. Lord, heal our marriages. Heal our relationships. Heal the the sin in our lives. Expose it. Bring it to light so it can be stricken down by the word of God, by your power. Because you don't come with just mere words. You come with power because there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ who wants to expel all of that. He wants to make you clean and a new beginning starts today. The generations that come will be changed because of what you decide today, church. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will have chances to respond because of what you do. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the name that has both authority in heaven and on earth, the creator of all things, both in heaven and on earth, our King and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.